the bell has rung. Welcome to another edition of In Ring Reality. I, of course, am your host, Josh Rizaskis, and we are here to talk about this week's edition of WWE SmackDown on Friday nights. And this week kicked off, as you can see by the thumbnail and the title, depending on if you're watching on YouTube and Facebook Live, or if you're listening only via the podcast-only audio experience, it kicked off with a storyline that was, needless to say, pretty controversial. So, pretty much everyone knows that Jeff Hardy, throughout the course of his life, has battled various demons. He's been arrested several times as a result of these demons. He infamously wrestled a match in TNA Wrestling at a pay-per-view called No Surrender against the man called Sting, where he was so out of it that he had no business being in the ring. So when this episode opens up with a reported incident at the WWE Performance Center where we see Jeff Hardy framed for a crime, a hit-and-run crime, nonetheless, as Elias is laying on the ground, apparently having been run over by a car. And when the KFA police arrive to investigate the situation, they find a bottle of alcohol that is somewhat empty and a rental car that's been wrecked registered to one Jeff Hardy. They didn't find Jeff, by the way, after Braun Strowman with hilarious reporting on the situation. Renee Young calls Braun Strowman an eyewitness, and Braun Strowman's like, hey man, I was just coming to work, and I saw this guy run out of nowhere, and I just hope they catch whoever did this. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It was ridiculous, just like your ridiculous acting in this segment, Braun. It was terrible. Terrible. (laughs) I mean, this is your universal champion, people. Your universal champion. And this is all you've got for him in this show? I swear. One of these days, we might just have to dedicate a podcast to the problems with Braun Strowman, because this as he mentioned, is ridiculous. But anyway, so the kayfabe cops and trainers, Jamie Noble and Jason Jordan, which it was awesome to see Jason Jordan back on WWE TV. I really miss him, and I hate the way his career got shortened the way it did. He was so phenomenal as part of American Alpha with Shorty G, Chad Gable. Which, by the way, we will see him later on more in the night. So good on WWE there. But they find Jeff, and Jeff is clearly out of it. He's been taken out, run over something. And he's like trying to figure out what's going on. And they're like, What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? And he goes, Jeff. Jeff. It's Jeff. So. They're like, he matches the name on the car. 
and he smells just like the alcohol is in the car. So they take him to, they tell him that they're going to take him rather to the police station for questioning. And he sees Elias being loaded on the stretcher in to the back of an ambulance that's at the performance center arena. And he says, Elias, Elias, just very, very upset and distraught by the entire situation. So what we get as a result was some great work by wrestler Adam Pierce, who has never been seen on WWE TV before, to my knowledge, but has an extensive background in the independence as one of the greatest workers that we have in the business. He cuts a promo as sort of the backstage de facto leader of the SmackDown Live locker room, explaining to the Friday Night SmackDown locker room, rather, sorry, force of habit, but he explains to all of them there that what has happened, and as a result, the Intercontinental Championship tournament has been thrown in disarray because we can't have Elias versus Daniel Bryan tonight. We can't have AJ Styles versus Jeff Hardy tonight because of everything going on. So Daniel Bryan says, I don't want to buy to the finals. AJ Styles says, I do. Of course, playing the good heel that he is. He says, I do want a buy to the finals. So they reluctantly give it to him. Adam Pierce does. Daniel Bryan agrees to fight. So in an effort to quell everybody who says that they deserve another chance at the Intercontinental Championship, Adam Pierce says there's going to be a 10-man battle royal. I cannot name all the names. Battle royals are just too crazy to keep track of. I do apologize. But I can tell you storyline beats, which I will do here in a second. But anyway, 10 guys are going to go to the ring, have a match, and the winner will get to face Daniel Bryan later on in the night for a shot at the finals against AJ Styles. So that's the match that kicks off SmackDown. It's this 10-man battle royal. Your storyline beats involve Cesaro and Sheamus with a brief bar reunion, showing respect for one another. Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura having issues all match long with Shorty G. Shorty G then gets illegally eliminated by Cesaro after Cesaro had already been eliminated from the match. And the finish of the match comes down to Sheamus and Shorty G. Great showing by Shorty G. And in the end, Sheamus gets the victory. So Sheamus is going to face Daniel Bryan later tonight with that second shot at the Intercontinental title. So fast forward to the end of the night. And this is only not confusing, by the way, because they cleared it up on WWE.com. So would have been much better to have Michael Cole or Corey Graves say something on commentary. But nonetheless, Jeff Hardy is released from police custody because he cleared a sobriety test. Doesn't explain anything about 
well, what about the hit and run charge? Because he still matches the ownership of the rented wrecked vehicle. But nonetheless, he was released of his own recognizance. He comes back, cost Sheamus the match, which was a good match, as you would expect, between himself and Daniel Bryan. Sheamus screaming the whole time about WrestleMania and 18 seconds and about how Daniel Bryan owes Sheamus every bit of success that he's achieved. All of that goes down. And as I said, Jeff Hardy comes back, confronts Sheamus, and distracts him enough to allow Daniel Bryan to get the victory and then beats him down afterwards as SmackDown goes off the air. So the question as I posed in the title, is not who framed Roger Rabbit, the classic movie, but instead, who framed Jeff Hardy? Because we have a storyline where WWE has clearly set up Jeff Hardy to be framed for this hit and run against Elias. Now, obviously, the leading candidates, the two guys that were most upset about not having a chance at the Intercontinental Championship in the finals are Sheamus, who Jeff Hardy's already been feuding with, and that's obviously who Jeff Hardy thinks is the culprit after what happened at the end of SmackDown, or Baron Corbin, because Baron Corbin hates Elias, and Baron Corbin wants to become Intercontinental Champion. The problem here, I would like to think, is that WWE is not going to do something that is that blatantly obvious. They're just really not. So it's got to be a red herring, and it's going to be somebody else who will then become Jeff Hardy's few going forward, or they'll just go ahead and do the obvious thing and make it most likely Seamus. But the bigger issue here, of course, is the controversy. It is the fact that Jeff has had all this history with real-life issues. And I know that something like this, WWE wouldn't have been able to do it without Jeff Hardy's approval. Hardy clearly had approved of this scenario, and that's why we saw it. But it doesn't make me any less uncomfortable. And it clearly didn't make his brother Matt any less uncomfortable as Matt tweeted while the match was going down. Just to reiterate, I'm very comfortable and happy working for AEW and Tony Khan on Wednesday nights. So he clearly is not a fan of the storyline. So I'm curious why Jeff signed off on this and why WB felt the need to go forward with this storyline, particularly with the fact that his entire comeback return to WWE has been about his redemption and overcoming all of that. Now, you can make the argument that that is exactly why they did it, because they're trying to play off that redemption and trying to make something out of this. But at the same time, it's like you're supposed to be putting it behind you, so it kind of defeats the purpose of everything going on.
Now, the only thing that I can think of as I rack my brain about this is WWE clearly wants to re-sign Jeff. They clearly don't want Jeff to go to AEW and join Matt. So, because of that, they are trying to do everything they can to keep Hardy in the spotlight, Jeff Hardy, and give him something of substance. And this is something that he can easily tap into because he has a lot of experience with this. He can bring some real-life drama into it. But the thing is, we've already seen it in the past with CM Punk in 2009. And everyone knows, as I said, how just severe this issue has been for Jeff. So I just don't really think this was the right call. That's just my opinion. I don't think this was the right call. But again, who framed Jeff Hardy? That is the main headline coming out of SmackDown. So do let me know either in the live comments that I go and check before each and every show comes to an end or via social media or via our email address what you think about this storyline, who you think framed Jeff. So with that, let's go into the rest of the show. There was a feud set up on social media early in the week. Issues between Lacey Evans and Sony Deville. Sony Deville furthered this, this with a backstage promo on Lacey Evans t- saying that she took out one blonde bimbo and disposed of her last week she'll do another with Lacey Evans this week the two have a match it was a really good really decent short match I really think Lacey Evans has really come a long way in her in-ring work and the same can definitely be said for Sony Deville and how great she has been with them finally giving her an opportunity to show what she can do in the ring Sonia and Lacey brawl to a double count out. Lacey wants to continue the fight. She's like, get in here, get in here. Don't call blinds dumb. Don't say all blinds can't wrestle. Sonia then gets on the headset at the announcer's table and says, I'll, you, I'll wrestle you in my own time and in my own way, bitch. And that is how that segment comes to an end. Next up, it was a tag team champions feud that was a result of a singles match because of a moment of bliss segment. It was champions showcase as the New Day, the SmackDown tag team champions were the guests of the women's tag team champions, Bliss Cross, Applesauce, Alexa Bliss, and Nikki Cross. Bailey and Sasha come out to say, I don't see the best women's tag team anywhere in this ring, except for the fact that I do now. Bailey then throws Sasha to a match with Alexa Bliss, and these two have a really good match playing off the supposed real-life heat that they have with one another. This was really, really good. I really enjoyed this match. At all points through the match, it looked like both ladies might win. Nikki Cross, in particular, was hilarious on commentary, screaming, 
waxy, waxy, waxy the entire time trying to get the performance center students and Michael Cole to chant along with her. The entire announce table was literally moving. Everything about this just really worked. In the end, Sasha Banks picks up the victory and it just keeps that subtle under the table feud between Sasha Banks and Bailey spinning. So really well done work there from everybody involved. Next up, because of the issues coming out of the Battle Royal, we got a really, really good match between Shorty G and Cesaro, where Shorty G picked up the win. So I'm a big, big fan of Shorty G. Like I said, he was tremendous as part of American Alpha. So I'm really, really happy that they're utilizing him once again. Hopefully he won't disappear from TV again as he picks up a needed win against Cesaro. Cesaro looked really strong in defeat. I don't think it hurt either man. So again, just a really big fan of how this all came about. Next up, we got the semifinals match between Daniel Bryan and Sheamus, which we've already talked about what went down as a result of this match, but the match itself was very good. The chemistry between the two was very good, and like I said, just an all-around nice, decent conclusion to a good storyline thread throughout the match. So with the Battle Royal taking up about the first half hour of the show, along with the opening segment, that brings this week's SmackDown Live to a close, with the exception of a very funny segment. I almost forgot about it because my notes are a bit out of order, so I apologize about that. But we had a very funny segment playing off Fast Times at Ridgemont High as we had Mandy Rose and Otis on a vacation at a pool. And Mandy Rose tells Otis she's going to take a nap while Otis swims. Mandy Rose then fantasizes about Otis. Otis does the whole rip the shirt, reveal the nipples spot from that movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mandy Rose simulates ejaculation with the sun tan lotion. It was just really, really fun stuff. The camera crew was filming her dream. It was a full-on inception moment with the camera crew filming her dream. I just loved every bit of it. Mandy Rose then gets with Otis in the pool for real, and they kiss once again to end the segment. Some pretty good, pretty intense kissing between the two. So they're really heating things up with this relationship. And the camera, I'm not going to lie, lingered quite a bit on the kissing. So if you're uncomfortable with PDA on your wrestling shows, this was not the show for you. But I really enjoyed the segment. I thought it was great. And it just they're just so cute together. Otis and Mandy are just really, really cute together. So a really good SmackDown. One of the better SmackDowns we've had in a long time, in my personal opinion. I really, really enjoyed this. I would definitely give it a four out of five for a ranking. So 
that is going to wrap it up, barring any live comments, which we do not have. So as always, if you enjoyed the program, be sure to interact with us at In Ring Reality Everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, our email address is nringreality at gmail.com. You can follow me personally on social media at Josh Rosowskis YT on Facebook, at Josh Rosowskis everywhere else, or my Becky Lynch fan page. If you're a big fan of the man Becky Lynch, is at Deadly Becky Lynch is the goat on Instagram. Leave us any and all feedback. I do appreciate each and every one of you and your continued support as the show continues to try to grow as I discuss my passion of pro wrestling. And as I always like to say, life is only as good as what you choose to make it to be. So make the choice to go out and do something great today.